studying Daniel and Revelations together as a church for a period of time coming up is going to be uh, exciting, but also one that is uh, filled with faith to see how God just opens our eyes to see more of Him. You know, as we think of even, I know kind of a little bit before we haven't really started studying that, but uh, as we think about Daniel and Revelations, it, it often helps us with knowing how to worship God today in light of the coming reality when Christ comes. So how to worship Christ today in light of the future reality of Jesus coming. Uh, and, you know, the, the reality is, is we kind of prayed about it today. The more, the more you look at our world, the more you see the unrighteousness of people. Is that very hard to see? <laughs> no? So how do you worship God in the midst of, in a sense, so much unrighteousness that you can see looking around the world? The older generation in here could easily think about what's going on in the world and you could sort of maybe look back and compare a little bit of your Christian roots and the Christian roots and the culture. And you see the country going backwards. Younger generation here can quickly and easily look and, and, and really see the same thing. In many ways, you can quickly look and you sort of see maybe in your schools or just your, 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 your relational social networks of how sin is celebrated. It's celebrated in, in different ways than it always has been. Laws in the nation seem to be being passed in such a way promoting immorality. Somehow personal choice is now so important that it is the measure of morality. You ever find yourself disheartened and just ask this question, what is going on in this world? What's going on? What is going on in this world? Psalm 2 helps us. Psalm 2 helps us see what is going on in this world. World. Psalm 2 is, I love it, and my prayers you walk out loving it as well. Psalm 2 is kind of like a theater play. It's a theater play that we'll study, and there's scenes in this theater for us to understand. But if I were to be able to put a quick title on this play, and honestly, there's probably tons of titles we could use, but I do believe this one is going to be faithful as well. How to live in these crazy times. So imagine the play in the theater we're about to watch. And the play you've just come to see in Psalm 2 is how... Do you live in these crazy times? Now, Psalm 2 is also a sequel. 
So it's a sequel to Psalm 1. And we all know that you could jump into a sequel and you could watch it and really kind of probably follow along, but it's sort of helpful to see, maybe you've seen the first one, right? The first play, the first movie, to see a little bit more context. And so Psalm 1 and 2, it's really neat, Psalm 1 and 2 were really uh, read often by the Jewish tradition, old Christian traditions, as one psalm. Because Psalm 1 and 2 is sort of this double-door entryway into the Psalter. It's this introduction into the Psalter. To understand all of the rest of the Psalms, it, you must understand whom they're pointing at. And Psalm 2 is a royal psalm. Psalm 2 is a royal psalm. Talking about the Messiah. And Jesus Christ is that key to unlock the door to then see beautiful reality all throughout the Psalms. It's more than the Jewish hymnal. It points to Jesus. Now Psalm 1 and 2, as we look at these, just kind of as a mere reminder, Psalm 1 speaks of two ways of living. Two ways of living. There is the life of the wise, and there is the life of the wicked. Now, Psalm 2 talks about the consequences of your choice. The reality is that the life of the wise will be blessed, and the life of the wicked will be crushed. Psalm 1 talks about how the Lord is the authority over all individuals. Psalm 2 talks about how the Lord is the authority over all the nations. And these are important. Both of these realities are important for us to really grasp and have our hand around. Because if you don't trust that Jesus reigns and is involved with all of the events of your life, how can you trust that He's involved and in control of all of the events of the world? Isn't this a sweet reality? When we trust that God has the whole world in His hands. We can then trust that He has our life in His hands. So we now come to the theater. In the theater, before we read Psalm 2 together, let me just help you know real quickly, there are four scenes. Four scenes in this play, in this theater that we're going to see, and scene one is going to be nations raging against God. Their fist raised up, rebelling against God. Scene two, God the Father comes. And God the Father communicates how He's not intimidated. Then there's scene three, Jesus himself comes. And Jesus comes and he responds to what the Father just said. And then scene four. David, filled with the Holy Spirit, comes out and says, y'all better listen to what the Father and the Son just said. And then he helps us with knowing how to do that. So as we read this is the story that we get to see. 
Let's read Psalm 2 together. Scene 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Scene 2. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Third scene. I will tell the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. In the last scene, now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. God's Word. Let's look at scene one together. Scene one together. This is the rebellion of sin, verse one through three. We see in verse 1 the nations raging. This is a picture of reality, even today. Nations raging and plotting in vain. Now when you hear the nations are raging, it's easy to think maybe this is like a big angry mob coming at the Lord. But they're not actually coming at Him with just mere emotion we see that they're, they're coming with thoughtfulness. They are plotting. They are plotting. And, and why I want you to see this in verse, or in verse 1 is because the very same word in plotting, you go over to Psalm 1, is the word meditate. Think of Psalm 1. We meditate. The godly meditate. On what? On the Word of God. The godly meditate on the laws of God. They meditate day and night, and the wicked meditate on plotting against God. And he makes it very clear it is in vain. What a stark difference. One has great meaning. Plot. Meditating upon the Lord and upon God's word day and night in one is just strictly meaningless. Plotting against the Lord is in vain. 
He just wants to make it very clear, it's not going to work. It is not going to work. And now as we look into verse 2, we see that this rebellion is handed over into the authorities. We see this rebellion goes to the kings and it goes to the rulers. So kings here, if you see here in verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves. This is warlike language. Uh, they, when a king goes into a war room to, to assess and to strategize and to think and to plan their very attack, and here they make whom they are attacking very clear. They set themselves against the Lord and his anointed. You also have the rulers. You also have the rulers here. So the rulers are those who are going to have a lot of influence. They have a lot of influence in the people, in the culture. And again, we see they take counsel together against the Lord and the anointed. So both the kings and the rulers, they have status, they have power. We can easily think of today, these are going to be, yes, uh, legislative people who are going to make decisions. This is going to be authorities, but it's also rulers. And you have to think back, not necessarily those in given authority, but those who have influence in today's culture. I mean, just think of Hollywood for a moment. How much influence do they have? How much influence can those that often want to have a voice and have a lot of money, they can make an influence? And here, in Psalm 2, the kings and the rulers, they come together against the Lord. And the capital A, anointed. Why is that important? Because this is Jesus Christ. This is Jesus Christ, the Old Testament. This is the word Messiah. New Testament, this is the word Christos. This is Messiah, King Jesus. So the rulers and the kings, they come together against the Father and the Son. So church, why in the world are they doing this? Let's look at verse 3. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Why are they doing this? They feel enslaved. The kings and the rulers, they, they feel enslaved. They feel like, go back to Psalm 1, meditate on the law of the Lord. So what do, how, why do they feel enslaved? They feel enslaved to the law of the Lord. There is the Bible, and there is authority, and there is rule. And these rulers and these kings feel in bondage. They feel that God is, well, literally a bondage bringer. And then, they meditate 
and they plot, and they think of ways to free themselves from the Word of God. They view God's Word as restrictive. They view His Word as limiting their ability to live how they want to live. God is holding them back from their full potential. God keeps them in bondage. So they want to burst those bonds apart. They want to take those shackles off. They want to cast their cords away. They want to cast away the Word of God. Now you and I know that God is the opposite. He's a bondage breaker. What are they doing? They think he's putting them in bondage. The kings and the rulers, they want to use their rule, they want to use their role, they want to use their authority to influence the culture in such a way to oppose the Word of God. Have you ever seen that today? You ever seen that today? Absolutely. We don't have to look very far, do we? This passage is stating that all of those legislative powers, all of those influential people, all of those people working really hard to cast off and to convince the culture that the Word of God does not have any value in their life, they want to convince you. They want to convince there is no good place for the sanctity of life. There is no good place on the sanctity of marriage. There is no such thing and good thing with the sanctity of sex. There is no good thing about having God as authority. And there's definitely not a good thing to limit that one salvation is through one person alone, Jesus. So why do they do this? That's what the psalmist is actually saying. Look back in verse 1. What's the very first, what's the very first word? Why? The psalmist is wanting us to say, like, why do you do this? <laughs> Seriously, like, like, this is a little sarcastic. Why? Like, why are you doing this? Because it's completely in vain. I use a word on pulpit. Kids, you can ask your parents if they want you to use this word. It's stupid. <laughs> it is stupid. What you are doing, kings and rulers, and in this culture, you really think you're going to win? It is in vain. It is in vain. So church, don't worry. It's not going to work. Honestly, it's just not. And people have tried. People have tried. So back a long time ago, Diocletian, 3rd century, long time ago, well, he literally tried to extinguish Christianity. Extinguish it. And he thought he did. Mercy, merciless persecution. Persecution. Goal, rid Christianity. And he thought he accomplished it. He thought he defeated Christianity. He even had a monument, and this monument said Diocletian. Jovian, Maximum, Hercules, Caesar, Augusti, for having everywhere 
abolished the superstition of Christ. He drove a metal rod in the ground that said the name of Christians being extinguished. How did that go? He thought he did it. Uh-uh. Actually, it wasn't even too much longer. When Constantine came around and took rule, and he favored Christianity. So, people have tried this over and over and over again to dethrone God, and, well, it's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. And, so as we see this passage, it, he, he just says, why? It's ridiculous. And what... And why do you think that freedom means casting off these bond, the bondage of God? Why do you think this? You know, I, I think about a kite flying. Imagine the kite way up in the sky. It's attached by a string, and the kite's going. And imagine the kite starts thinking, I want to go higher. I want to go over there. I want to go over there. Man, I feel so, like this string is, I'm in bondage because of this string. And let's say this kite has the ability to cut that string. What happens to the kite? Falls to destruction. Because the very string on the kite was tethering that kite to truth. Like, without the string, there is no life. You think you're free. Actually, you're just going to fall to the ground. So being tethered to the Word of God is where freedom is. Being tethered to the Word of God is true freedom. So, we see their rebellion is in vain. It is foolish. Scene 2. The curtains close, and the curtains open. God the Father steps out, and God the Father responds. How would you assume he would respond? I really think this, I don't know if we would have written it this way. Um, so, what we see is the Father, first, He's sitting down. He is seated. He is sitting on the throne of heaven. And second, He is laughing. So, what is the response of the Father to this great rage, this great rebellion, plotting against Him? Sitting down, laughing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Like, you know, we could immediately sort of wonder, oh, this is like warlike terminology. Like, God the Father, he's pacing. What am I going to do? They're raging against me. i got to get a plan. Hey, Jesus. Hey, Holy Spirit. Let's go. Let's strategize together. Let's figure out how we're really going to... Nope. He's sitting down. He's laughing at him. Charles B. Uh, uh, um, or H.P. Charles, he says something I, I liked. He said this, when the nations rage, God is where he always has been. Sitting on the throne. 
And what is his response? He laughs. Human rebellion is divine comedy. Let that soak in. Human rebellion is divine comedy. Do you really know who you are rebelling against? (laughs) I am the God of creation who created by the power of my voice. I am the one who knows all things, who holds all, all things in my hands, the absolute existence of this world. I am the God who transcended from heaven to earth as a child. And do you not remember I am the God whom somebody else tried to plot against me, and it was Satan himself, and he used some people in Matthew. We just read about it, right? It was called the crucifixion. He really thought, come on, Pontius Pilate, do my work. Come on, rulers, do my work. They plotted. They had a plan. And they were excited. And it did nothing. It didn't work then. Church, it ain't going to work now. He laughs. God laughs at them in mockery. Verse 4 says he holds him in derision. He is literally ridiculing them for foolishness against him because he is God and he reigns. After He laughs and he holds them in derision. He speaks in verse 5. He says, He then speaks to them in his wrath and terrifies them in his fury. By saying this. He's saying this. It's too late. This is what he's saying. He's saying it is too late. Verse 6. I have already set my king on Zion. My holy hill. It's too late. I've already accomplished breaking the bonds of sin and I've already accomplished through the resurrection all that I need to accomplish. Jesus Christ is the anointed sitting at the right hand. He is the King and He is sitting on Zion. Zion being the hill uh, where royal kings would live. That's where they governed. And that hill is a picture of Jesus governing and being over the world. He's saying it's too late. It is too late. Jesus Christ already sits upon the throne. All your rebellion is futile. The curtains close. And they open. And Jesus comes out. And he responds. Verse 7 through 9. Verse 7. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Chew on this one for a moment. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Multiple places in the New Testament come back to this verse to show the majesty of Christ. Hebrews 1.5 
Which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? This points to the deity of Christ. Christ being God. Hebrews 5.5, Christ did not exalt himself to be a high priest, but he was appointed by him who said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So Christ here is our mediator. Unto Christ is the only way you can come to the Father. And guess what kind of throne he has? The throne of grace. Where you can find mercy and grace in time of need. So he is God. He is mediator. And guess what? He has he has, he has a resurrected Christ, showing the authority of God as proven, which is shown in Acts 13. And then in Philippians 2, we now see, hey, and he also completely reigns. So let's get it right. This Christ, Jesus coming out, saying who he is, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 7, as Jesus comes, He wants us to see, and as we see the fulfillment from the New Testament, we see Jesus is saying, I am God, the only one who you will find mercy and grace because I conquered death alone. I conquered sin in that grave. So you can either submit to me now or submit to me later. The reality is, it's not if, it's when. Verse 8, Jesus reminds, reminds the people who owns this world. He's saying, ask, he's saying what the Father has told him. He says, there's going to be a moment that I have to ask the Father. And the Father will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. The very nations that are raging against God is going to be the very thing he owns in possession. He owns it now. Let's be clear. He owns it now. But he hasn't asked for possession yet. There is a future day. He's going to take full possession. But today, we are supposed to see this reality that it is he who owns it. And verse 9 brings a rightful fear because, again, there will be that day that He comes to take possession. And verse 9 says, when that day comes, He will purge the rebellious from it. He says, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
Church, if you wonder what the final day of judgment is going to be like, for those that do not accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, imagine a clay vessel. And imagine Jesus holding an iron rod, dashing it. He will exercise His power. He will exercise His dominion. Those that rebel will be destroyed. And the curtains close. Scene four. As the curtains open, Acts 4 states that this was David writing this psalm. And so we can see this is David coming out, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he just says, hey, 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 did y'all just hear that? Did you just hear that? This is a scene, I want you to see it, this is a scene of mercy. This is a scene of mercy. We know the stance of the Father. We know the stance of the Son. And David's coming with a little tremble. Did you just hear that? Listen. Listen. He will take possession. There is a day that he's coming back because it's already been given to him. He's already ruling. There will be a day. So he says, be wise and be warned. In verse 10, be wise, be warned, your rebellion is futile. It will not do anything, anything. You cannot dethrone Jesus. God the Father has set Him on the throne. You cannot do it. And your actions have massive consequences. Because again, he's going to come back. What day, what side are you going to be on? Are you going to be on the wise side? Or are you going to be on the foolish side? Because he will extinguish all those who rebel. But he's really saying here, there's still time. There's still time to turn. There's still time to turn. And so what he says in this next verse 11, he's really going to point to three things. He says, there is still time. So listen, listen, listen closely. Serve the Lord with fear. Instead of boasting in your false sense of freedom, serve the Lord. In fear. Fear, reverence. Serve the Lord with great reverence to Him. Serve the Lord with reverence, with affection. Here's the reality, church. Every single person is serving somebody. The problem is most people are serving themselves. 
So it's not a matter of if you are serving, it is who you are serving. Mark 8 says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit the soul? How's that going to do for you? You want to serve yourself? What's that going to profit if you lose your soul? This is a plea for you to ensure that you take this seriously in your life and those that you're around is to serve the Lord with fear. And verse 11 also says the second thing is to rejoice with trembling. To rejoice with trembling. Church, when you see the wrath of God and the mercy of God, you can only rejoice with trembling. The closer you see that, you don't come to the church service thinking that the first, you know, we've got to get a good uh, worship song to get me going. No, what gets you going is the closer you observe see the wrath of God that we just saw and the mercy of God. And we then rejoice. So we can rejoice with trembling when we see both rightly. If you are not in Christ, all you can do is tremble. But He offered His Son for you to do both, to rejoice and tremble. Lastly, He's saying, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, and kiss the Son. Kiss the Son. This is a kiss of submission. When a king is defeated in war, he goes to the conquering king, humbles himself to his knees, and kisses his ring. To those who respect their king, the king's people will pay homage. They will come to the king and they will bow, and they will kiss his ring. Submit to the conquering king, and give him your heartfelt allegiance. That is what this plea is pleading to you. Submission to Christ. Church, do you see here in this last scene, great mercy being offered. Because Christ has not come to take full possession as He will yet. So He is saying, serve Jesus. Rejoice in trembling. Rejoice in Jesus. Submit your all in all so that you do not perish. And verse 12 says, no one can plan for that day. Because his wrath is quickly kindled. We don't know. Do not waste time. Do not waste time. And the quicker you can stop wasting time, the better. Because the very blessing and the very last is, Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. 
Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. You know what refuge is? It's a place of protection. And do you know where you're going to find that? In salvation. Refuge is salvation from Jesus. Found through Jesus. The very one that will dash you is the very one you run to now because he hasn't taken possession. And he will forgive. So Christian, how do you live in these crazy times? How do you do it? One, may I say, don't worry. Don't worry when you see all this rebellion. Don't worry when you see the rulers and the authorities in this world rage against God. Don't worry. God has this. Jesus, He reigns. Don't worry, but also, also, you have a role. You have a role. And your role is to proclaim and not complain. That is your role. See the world raging. Good! Build your confidence that you're on the right side because Jesus reigns. And then proclaim and don't complain because here is the reality. Verse 5, if you were to go back to it, how is the Father going to speak? How does He do that? Verse 5, when it says, speak to them, God, Father's talking here, I speak to them in wrath. How, How does He do that? Speaks through us. As we proclaim the message. And guess what you have to proclaim? You have to proclaim the bad news. There is bad news. You are a sinner who has sinned against a holy God. And that is going to produce eternal damnation. But you also have to proclaim the worst news. The worst news is you can't do anything about it. Can't do anything about it. You can't fix yourself. Your merit, it's not going to work. But we know we then proclaim the good news. And the good news that Jesus did something for you. He was the only one who could do this, and He did it, and He took upon Himself your sin upon that cross so that you could be saved and have that refuge. We then have to proclaim the best news. And the best news is when a sinner runs to Jesus and submits to Him by kissing His ring, submitting His life, repenting and having faith. He is forgiven. And He receives eternal life. So church, may we proclaim the bad news, the worst news, the good news, and the best news. There is time. There is time. 
Parents, it can be easy to look at where the world is going and to say, what are my kids going to do? What kind of world are they going to live in? Guess what? They're going to live in a world that Jesus reigns. That's what they're going to do. So don't complain about it. Proclaim the good news. And to your kids, teach them to fear the Lord. To serve the Lord. Teach them what He is proclaiming us today. Is to rejoice in the Lord with trembling. And teach them to submit. It's less about the raging. And it's more about seeing who is king and who we follow. Amen? May you be built up with faith. And may you appropriately Worship team, come on up. Let's pray together, church. Father, in the midst of the confusion of this world, may our eyes be opened to seeing your all-sufficiency. May your sufficiency give us great hope and confidence to proclaim your name. You are the begotten Son sitting on the throne at this very minute being our High Priest. So we thank You for Your mercy to us. And for those who are still stuck in rebellion, Lord, would You allow the Spirit to bring appropriate fear and a desire to cling a hold of the one who reigns for forgiveness and love. Give your people the strength to proclaim you. Today and this week we pray. Amen.